Welcome to What That Means with Camille, companion episodes to the In Technology podcast. In this series, Camille asks top technical experts to explain, in plain English, commonly used terms in their field, then dives deeper, giving you insights into the hottest topics and arguments they face. Get the definition directly from those who are defining it. Now, here is Camille Moorhart. Welcome to today's podcast, In Technology, What That Means. We're going to talk about deep fake today with Ilke Demir. She's a senior staff researcher in Intel Labs, and she studies all kinds of things. Help me out here. 3D, computer vision. What else do you look at? Geometry understanding with uh, deep learning, uh, deep fakes, synthetic media, generative models, and more other things. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to jump right into synthetic media because I was just looking at something like that. Are you talking about anchor people who are actually generated and delivering the news or is this something else? Um, Synthetic media can be everything around deep fakes, which is like uh, facial reanimation and facial retargeting. It can be completely new people. It can be completely new humans. It can be 3D models of buildings or cities or like galaxies. So all of that is synthetic data in general. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit of time on deep fake. And I know most people have probably heard of it, but can you describe what it is and how it's used and if it's changed in the last couple of years? Sure. So deep fakes are those synthetic media, videos, images, audio, or combination of them, where the actor or the action of the actor is not real. So you may be seeing me like that, but are you sure it is really me? Or if it is it a deep fake of me? I think that is the like most prevalent uh, example. The bloom of deep fakes started with the introduction of generative adversarial networks or GANs that was introduced in a paper in 2014. And in that case, it was like a very like blurry faces with maybe grayscale, like you look there, you see some kind of face, but not really photorealistic. Since then, it has been changed so much. So now there are very powerful deep learning approaches with very complex architectures that we can actually control the face representation, we can control the head pose, we can control lighting, uh, occlusions, we can control the gender, skin tone, and we can do it like between many different faces. So that is where we are right now. So what we see online is getting more and more dystopian as we should not be believing what we see. Okay. So what kinds of detection methods. I know that you've developed different detection methods, mm-hmm. including real-time detection methods for deep fake video. Can you talk about the, the spectrum of, I guess, are they all biometric things that you look at to see if just a person is a person, let alone whether it's actually the person, but let's start with just, this is a real human versus a generated a computer image of a human. Yeah, so generation and detection are an arms race. More photoristic images or videos are coming and then better detectors are coming. So in that race, 
researchers first introduced methods that are looking at artifacts of fakery in a blind way. So the idea is if we train a powerful network on enough data of fakes and reals, it will at some point learn to distinguish between fakes and reals because there are like boundary artifacts, symmetry artifacts, etc. Well, that is a way, of course, and it is working for some cases, but mostly those are very open to adversarial attacks have the tendency to overfit to the data sets that they are generated on. And they are not really open for domain transfer or open for like generalization capability of those detectors. We twisted that question. Instead of asking what is the artifacts of fakery or what is wrong with the video, we ask what is unique in humans? Are there any authenticity signatures in humans as watermark of being human? Following that uh, kind of thought, we have many different uh, detectors that are looking at authenticity signatures. Fake catcher is the uh, first one. We are looking at uh, your heart rate, basically. So when your heart pumps blood, it goes to your veins and the veins change color based on the oxygen they are containing. That color change is, of course, not visible to us humans. Like we don't look at the video and say, like, oh, yeah, she's changing color. We don't do that. But computationally, it is visible. And those are called photophlatismography, PPG signals. So we take those PPG signals from many places on your face, create PPG maps from their temporal, spectral, and spatial correlations, and then train the neural network on top of PPG maps to enable deepfake detection. We also have other approaches like eye gaze-based detection. So normally humans, when we look at a point, um, they converge on a point, right? Uh, but for deep fakes, it's like googly eyes. <laughs> of course, not as visible, but they are less correlated, etc. So we collect all the like size, area, color, gaze direction, 3D gaze points, all those information from eyes and gazes, and train a deep neural network on those gaze signatures to detect whether they are fake or not. So the the next step with all this, because I'm sure it's like you said, it's this arms race. And so then the computers or AI will figure out how to fake the convergence of vision so that we can no longer find that out. They'll they'll fake the vertical scanning that humans do and we can no longer detect there. And then they'll figure out how to make sure the pupil or iris aren't changing in size as much as they're doing now, which is the way that we catch them. Ultimately, are we going to need to be looking at actually an individual human and saying, okay, Ilke, this is your heart rate, so we know that you're the one speaking, or this is your gaze, as opposed to just a generic human gaze. Person identification is a completely broad research topic. We haven't invested our uh, resources yet. We are just looking at the problem as fake or real detection. For heart rate, it is very unique to humans. So if you have the actual heart rate that is measured, um, that heart rate and how it is changing can be a strong signal to identify a person, identify that like it is Ike that is talking. But finding that heart rate as exactly from the video is not really possible because there are so many things that are changing. The camera parameters may add something. The illumination may add something. Like something passing by my window, creating a shadow on me may affect the PPG signal. So exactly finding that unique signature per person from video is very hard. Okay. So you're not looking into water markings, for example, in an individual human or identifying an individual human and then saying, validating that that is the person whose video it is. Yeah, we no, we are not doing that. We are finding that um, real humans collectively mm -hmm. have PG signals that is consistent on their faces. Basically. Okay. I have heard some people claim that, did you see the movie Maverick, the new one that came out? 
Not yet, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's it's got Tom Cruise and a bunch of folks in it. But I've heard it, you know, claimed that, well, we're going to find out later that that was all generated video of actors. And I'm just wondering now, this is, you know, just sort of a, a, a wild claim right now, but it just makes me think, is that something that we're likely to see coming? Could we generate humans that we recognize for as long term as a film? I love that question because we are not only doing deepfake detection, we are also doing responsible generation. Um, first of all, I want to just give one remark. Uh, I think I don't want to see Tom Cruise anymore because he has so many deepfakes and we have been looking at all of those deepfakes so much. <laughs> so generation of deepfakes is a huge topic and we want to do it responsibly. And it is possible to create a whole movie just by deepfakes if we have enough reference um, images and videos of that person. Not for 2D movies, but actually for 3D. Uh, we had those uh, 3D productions in Intel, and one of them is an AR series. So for that AR series, uh, because of COVID, the actor couldn't come to the studio, to the huge studio for volumetric capture. And we said, okay, like take a video of yourself at home with the script so that we can actually make a 3D deepfake of you using the 2D footage that you give us and using the earlier 3D footages that we reconstructed of him. And we actually did that face retargeting, which is like taking the mouth, hand gestures, um, like facial gestures, etc., from 2D video and applying it to the 3D capture of him that mimics him in 3D. So if we did this for this, that little AR series very quickly, then it, it is definitely possible to do it in, in 2D, which is a little bit easier uh, to do for the whole movie. So... Do you have any concerns about this? Just generally, when you think about deepfake, like what do you tell people to worry about? Or is it sort of shrug your shoulders? And what kinds of things are people looking at moving forward? I mean, we, we have ideas of verifying our identity for things maybe that we're posting. We used to think of video as a way to verify. We actually said it. What kinds of directions is the world <laughs> looking at taking to verify identities? Yeah, um, the whole detection research actually emerged from that question. So our presence is pushed more from physical presence to digital presence. And we have all those like passports, IDs, everything to verify our physical presence, but not our digital presence. There are some biometrics that are going like fingerprints, etc., or retinal, retinal scans, but they are like a little bit more high level. It's not like used for our video like this, right? So we are trying to implement defect detection for that because we have seen in news and in many real world cases that Defects are used for political misinformation, for forgery, for fake court evidences, for adult content. And for all of them, we need some verification purposes. We need some authentication purposes. And defect detection is one of them. It doesn't exactly say that, okay, you are Camille, okay, I am in care, but it says that this is a real human. Mm -hmm. And most of the deepfake approaches are trying to impersonate someone one-to-one. -one. And in that case, it is easy to say if it is fake, then it is not that person. We are also developing other approaches about how we can create responsible deepfakes, how we can enable that creative process of creating synthetic humans, creating digital humans in a way that it is responsible and it's not impersonating someone one-to-one. So the main concern is that you're 
uh, treading on an actual person's identity versus that that somebody can't tell the difference between, say, a fake actor or a real actor in a piece of art? Yes, we want to uh, distinguish fakes from reals mm-hmm. before going to the identity uh, reveal. What's sort of your biggest concern around deep fakes that are out there? Recently, there was a video on social media platforms of uh, Ukraine President Zelensky giving misinformation about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so instead of that fake video not being uploaded to the platform or not being like marked, um, the platform waited for it to be reported as fake for like everyone went like, oh, this is not real. This is not real. This is fake. This is fake. And then something was done. But just like put yourself in the place of those people inside the war, inside the invasion, like they don't have that, um, oh, may it be fake mindset. They are like, Something is coming, new information is coming, we need to believe he's saying that, etc. So in that emergency situation, you don't have that critic eye that is looking for fakes. And instead of that whole situation, if there was a defect detector being the ingestion step of that platform, then it would have at least given a confidence metric, a check mark saying that, okay, we believe that with 80% accuracy, this is a fake video. That didn't happen. So this is just the beginning. And, um, you know, especially for elections, especially for like defaming purposes, etc. Defects are really going there. There are like certain in- individuals that are really affected from those consequences. And we don't want that to happen. Is that kind of the extent of where you think it's headed? That there'll be, uh, we'll just say bad actors, I guess, out there um, impersonating people and putting things in their their likeness that aren't true? Or is there some other kind of place that this could go? Well, that is the immediate case, right? Like we have heard that because of audio deepfake, um, some CEO was forced to give like millions of dollars away to someone, uh, but that was just a deepfake. It, it wasn't real, etc. So those are only the immediate steps. But as those cases increase and increase and increase, it will at some point it will emerge in a place that no one will believe everything. Like Mm -hmm. even if someone is going out there and saying the truth with all the authenticity, people will say, oh, that's probably fake. Oh, like I won't believe it. Or people that trust each other will share deep fakes unknowingly and that will break the trust between those people. So all of these scenarios in an accumulated way is going towards a really dystopian future where there is social erosion of trust. And that social erosion of trust is not only affecting the future of media, future of digital personas, it is affecting the future of us as our culture. Our trust is degrading. Things that we see are degrading. Like all of these combined in a where you want to be heard, where you want to be seen, you won't because everyone will think that it is a fake or like everyone will lose the faith in videos, in digital formats. So will there be ultimately then some kind of um, movement toward establishing provenance when videos are made or by provenance, I mean, the origin can be proved somehow or attested somehow as the true source? Exactly. You are just just <laughs> on, the, on that point. I was about to say that. So, of course, there's detection as the short term, but for long term, there's media provenance research that is going on. And media provenance is knowing how a piece of media was created, who created it, why it was created, 
Was it created with consent? Then throughout the life of media, was there any edits? Who made the edits? Was edits like allowed? As a, like all of the life of mm. media and what happened to it will be stored in that provenance information. And because of that provenance information, we will be able to believe what we see, saying, that, okay, like we know the source, we know the edit history, etc. So this is a legit piece of media which is original or paid because there are so many creative people like visual artists like studios and those have been creating synthetic media and synthetic data like through their lives so we want to also enable that for that purpose there is currently a coalition uh, c2pa coalition for content protection and authentication that's a coalition for media provenance with intel and adobe and microsoft and arm and several other companies where they put together all the beautiful minds of all of those people to create open technical standards to create uh, policies around content generation media provenance and how we can enable and protect the trust in media all at the same time and hopefully our future research is also following in that direction sorry i i cut no no i'm just wondering as as we move toward attesting to people's identities like you're saying or the or, or provenance of media are we going to then have to rely on some sort of central authority to kind of check that this is verified or are we going to be able to do that in a distributed way or will it be a hybrid there are several uh, ideas about that but our research is to actually make media live on itself so the authenticity information should inherently be embedded in the media itself you know like like watermarks that have been like used in the in- file you mean yeah in the file but in the file in a way that it is protected and not changed mm-hmm. right so we don't want someone to like um stamp it or okay it uh, as a like the higher up we want the media to be self-explanatory and self-authentication enabled so for example if we have all of these adversarial networks that are creating very nice synthetic media can we actually embed the authenticity information and provenance information inside that media so when it is rendered or when it is consumed or when it is downloaded the uh, authenticity information is decoded and it gives the information if it is a fake piece of media or or unauthentic version then the decoder will say that well this is not the key this is not the how it was created so this is not it we, our research is, will be more focused on that, but there are other crypto-based systems or like blockchain systems that are doing that authentication and um, verification of genuine media. Is what you're talking about just before the crypto systems, is that hardware-based or software-based or both? Um, both. <laughs> so ideally, uh, if we have all the camera manufacturers in the world come together and decide that, okay, we need to do this hardware-based authentication for all the photos that are taken in the world, that would be a hardware-based solution and it would be a lovely solution. But of course, that is like a maybe too long-term of a solution that we cannot get all the camera manufacturers in the world, right? So we need to have software-based solutions. Now, where do you put those software-based solutions in the life of a media, right? You can try to put it at consumption, but it is too late. At consumption, it was already created, edited, done something. On consumption level, we only can do detection and we can also do source detection. So for synthetic data, for like synthetic video, we published some work for 
detecting the source generative model of a video so that we can say, okay, this was created by FaceSwap, this was created by face-to-face, etc. So that is one little information that about provenance that we can give at the consumption time. Now, if we go back to one step before, which is probably the editing time, in the editing time, maybe some of the software editing tools can embed some uh, certificates, some uh, signatures inside the data so that it will be at least known that it was edited by the software. The creation is unknown, but editing is known. And again, if we go back and back, if it was a synthetic media that is created by a software, we can use those like authenticator integrated GANs that I talked about, mm-hmm. or if it's hardware, then we can we still need something in between to anonymize all of those representative representations. So, should artists and uh, politicians and other people who are in in media often pay close attention now to what kinds of contracts they're signing in terms of what digital content rights they retain? Is that kind of a, a hot topic right now? Absolutely. I don't know whether you have seen that there was a news article saying that. Bruce Wills gave away his defect rights to some company. And it was like, wow, like they can do a whole Bruce Wills movie without Bruce Wills, you know? Um, then there was like a few days ago, there was another news article saying that, well, that information was fake. Bruce Wills never signed a defect contract. Um, so <laughs> I think people are like, especially in those cases, people are looking at more and more. I still wonder, like, all of those Tom Cruise videos, like, does anyone pay for Tom Cruise's likeness mm-hmm. in that video if that video is going viral and they are making money off from that video? Or is there any revenue to Tom Cruise because his face is used? I don't know. So the laws and policies around defects are emerging currently from different parts of the world, from governments. I think in the U.S., defects are still under fair use because they are... Um, different domains and for entertainment, so they don't need to be. I don't want to give wrong information about that. We actually uh, had a nice collaboration with UCLA with some legal people that are working on that topic, so I would definitely refer Mm -hmm. those questions to them, but um, basically that's the current landscape right now. So last question for you is what advice would you give all of us who don't have access to real-time deep fake detectors. What are we supposed to do right now when we see things? Uh, Of course, I won't say send them to me. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have that much capacity. Um, So anytime we see a viral video, we are like, okay, let's run fake catcher and it catches. But yeah, of course, we are having some conversations with different companies about how we can present this to the users open it to public or at least like uh, they can use it in their workflow whenever they have to verify third-party information or whenever um, some platforms are encountering those fake videos. So hopefully everyone at some point will have uh, reached to those. And if you want to be one of those (laughs) enablers, then reach out to us. So what should I tell my kids then when they're watching internet videos? How should I let them know or how how should I prepare them? I would say don't believe everything you see digitally. It may be incorrect or it may be on purpose to deceive you. Hopefully there will be some online tools that they can actually consult to when they see some suspicious videos. So yeah, keep an open eye for things to not be correct, not be real. And just finally, what is Fake Catcher before we sign off? 
Fake Catcher is the deepfake detection solution that is created by me and my collaborator Umur Aybars Chifchi to catch deepfakes based on heart rates. So based on PPG signals and how our veins are changing color based on our heart rate, we can find that deepfakes are fake and real humans are real. Ilka Demir is Senior Staff Research Scientist in Intel Labs. Thank you very much, Ilka, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation. Thank you.